98.7 FM, Arizona's sports station, Big League Blast. Of all the transgressions documented in the NBA's investigation of Robert Sarver, here is something you will not find. About a year ago, a prominent Valley businessman who is an original Sun season ticket holder wrote a letter to Sarver. He offered to purchase and donate a state-of-the-art statue of Jerry Colangelo. That businessman said he helped cover the $300,000 cost by enlisting many NBA types who understand the importance of Colangelo and the importance of such a gesture in Phoenix. And he followed up with Sarver repeatedly. The response? Yeah, not interested. Thanks, but no thanks. So, I would like the new owner to want to win, to spend, to be present but not medal, to purchase the team for the investment but not the annual profit. I would like the new owner to understand that this team is about us, not him, to recognize he is a steward of our basketball team and a reflection of our our community. The NBA was upset because Sarver didn't align with its core values. I want the next owner to represent our core values. I want the next owner to celebrate and not be threatened by the team's rich history. I would like something resembling justice for the true victims in this story, and that includes former GM Ryan McDonough, who was also bullied and traumatized and really deserves another chance to run a team, a real chance. And I want that statue park outside of Footprint Center, just like they have outside the Staples Center or Bush Stadium. Because the Suns are more than an investment, more than part of a portfolio, more than a hood ornament for a billionaire's vainglory. They belong to us today, tomorrow, and forevermore. All right, today's Bitly Blast brought to you by my great friends at Chapman BMW who make luxury affordable with two great locations and one great experience. Find them online at ChapmanBMW.com. I'm guessing, there's only this is the only thing I can do in this instant, yeah. Vic, that uh, people maybe in their cars or listening on the Arizona Sports app that are true longtime Suns fans were probably pumping their fists or saying stuff like, hell yeah, when you said that. The Suns belong to us. Uh, it's a nice sentiment. Mm-hmm. But is it realistic? We're talking about billionaires. We're talking about investments. We're talking about most likely out-of-town influence uh, when it comes to whoever buys the the, the Phoenix Suns. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that's the way sports should be, uh, is is that these teams belong to the communities and the fan base, but... Well, listen, there's the the bottom line of it that they, of course, they don't belong to us in terms of assets and that kind of stuff and and money and all that. But But I do think the best owners in sports understand that they are stewards and understand that that the community has to feel like the franchise represents them, belongs to them, and they may not be profiting from it, but but everything that makes it special is because of them. Public trust is the phrase that I always like to use about the Phoenix Suns, about any franchise, really, that operates on, on the goodwill of the community in which it serves, in which it stands. And and I think that that this is something that kind of got lost in the last era. I think that I think it's happened to both our franchises in town. I think Jerry Colangelo and and the level of success that he achieved cast a very, very long shadow for his successors, uh, a threatening shadow. And, and I think that a lot of times that has gotten away. So the next owner of the Phoenix Suns will be one owner removed, two owners removed, 
one owner removed from Jerry Colangelo. Yeah. So there should be enough separation now to actually do this, to actually take the time, build a statue, accept that statue, put it outside a footprint center, and let's begin to celebrate our history. I said it to Al McCoy yesterday. He deserves a statue outside footprint center. That's the kind of thing that people rally around because that's the kind of thing that makes people – yeah, this franchise is special. I, I get your point totally. Yeah. Okay. And that I mean, story it's... about that statue and the crickets coming from mm-hmm. from it's a true uh, story. A certain party. Yeah, I I, <laughs> I believe. It also you. makes you feel like you think of the 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 franchises that are known for having statues are the Lakers mm-hmm. out, outside of Staples and the Yankees uh-huh. and Monument Park, like the biggest of the big franchises. Yeah. It makes you feel important. It does. Like you have history and you're honoring the history and, it, and it's you know bringing everything together. Exactly. And, 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 and that's something, and the Suns have so many worthy candidates. The Footprint Center. I mean, Diana Taurasi deserves to be part of that. If you've been outside the Staples Center, it's almost embarrassing how many great athletes have been immortalized in bronze outside the Staples Center. I mean, Oscar De La Hoya has a statue outside the Staples Center. Wayne Gretzky should. But uh, there's – and they're everywhere. You go to St. Louis outside Bush Stadium, people are taking pictures with it. It's a great touchstone. It's an emotional touchstone that that I think um, – and again, it's, it's, it's a personal cause of mine. I've been saying this for years as it relates to Jerry Colangelo. But, uh, but I, I, I like that stuff, and I see how other fans and other markets really rally around that stuff. And you know what? It's, it connects us is what it does. Yeah. It, it and to your point, and I don't disagree with you, but what what frustrates me, and there was a recent example too, you know, Tom Seaver has always been very, very important to the New York Mets franchise. And were they a little slow on things? There's a beautiful statue of him outside of City Field right now. Mm-hmm. He never got to see it. He passed away before that. It's better to move quickly when you identify those that indeed. Are, are indeed important to the fabric of your organization and your city. Yeah, honor them while they can. Yeah. and that they can enjoy not posthumously. That's that that doesn't do Jerry and Al for yeah. sure. Yeah. yeah. Right. I, I mean, that's where you start. And then you go to Diana Taurasi and then maybe Charles Barkley and Steve Nash. Yeah. And bam. Now you got something. Now you got something. Mm hmm. You got a lot of statues is what you got. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, so, but why not? Right. <laughs> the, are you going to say something, Jared? No, I mean, if you don't want to, uh, yeah. <laughs> Thanks for coming, Jared. He's not the best color commentator in the league for nothing, ladies yeah. and gentlemen. <laughs> Dynamite drop-in, Monty. It's, it's very important. The new owner, I think one of the important things is he comes in and he embraces the fan base and the history of yeah. the franchise. Right. Yes. He doesn't try to make it about himself and That's, what he's yeah. going, you know. Right. And, that, and I there's wonder, no guarantee that happens. In fact, it's probably not likely to happen. You, I, well, we're all hoping. But you said it. It's the devil you know against yeah, the devil you don't. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, so to me, this is a, this is a great opportunity to to kind of hit reset and 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 be better mm-hmm. and do better and win a championship. What if? What would this? What would this last twelve months have been like? Had. The Suns closed the deal out against the Bucks. If Robert Sarver was a championship-winning owner, wow. Yeah, I, 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 I don't know if we'd be at a different place. Right? I don't, I don't know. I don't think we would, quite honestly, because I know for a fact that that uh, story that Baxter Holmes was writing was being written during. That is that, true, and it could, yeah. have, could have been yeah. published during no. that finals run. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I don't. I don't know if that changes. I'm anything. just curious. Yeah, 
But it's, uh, yeah, listen, this is, for a lot of people, this was a day of celebration. And, and again, I, I don't want that to come off as flippant to the, to the, to, to the seriousness of a lot of this, to, yeah. the, to the injustice and the trauma that's been caused to a lot of people. And I do feel that way about Ryan McDonough as well. I know a lot of people have ripped on Ryan. Uh, he, had, he, didn't, he drafted Devin Booker, but he, he worked under conditions that I, I, I can't imagine. There's nothing worse than goat defecation. Yeah, yeah there was that. Tell you that. How about that? Yeah. Uh, coming up next, Cardinals getting ready for the Rams. The injury report getting a little bit shorter. We'll hit some of the details of that matchup next. It's Bickley and Murata mornings, 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station. Bickley and Murata. Dan Bickley and Vince Murata. Bickley and Murata mornings, 98.7 FM, Arizona's Sports Station. Yeah, as, as much as we can. It's more, I, I would say, leadership stuff and, and not as much X's and O's because obviously we play each other, but just some of the issues he deals with, some things I deal with, how to handle players, how to handle different situations he's dealt with. It's more on the leadership um, and what you deal with sitting in that chair than any sort of schematics. Cliff Kingsbury, the head coach of the Cardinals, when asked yesterday about, hey, you got a game this week against the Rams, coached by a friend of yours and Sean McVay. What do you guys talk about? Uh, he also was asked, how much will you talk this week? Probably zero. Yeah, I think both of us are trying to figure out our, you know, how we can get our teams playing better. Um, and that's probably going to lead to not a lot of communication until before the game. Well, uh, which, which is a good thing, I think. I, mm. I, I'm, I'm, I'm not speaking for myself, but I've, I've glean, you know, uh, discovered this on social media, that when there is a rivalry, a division rivalry that is one-sided as this one has been, you can't ignore the fact that they're friends, but I think Cliff Kingsbury's playful nature towards Sean McVay kind of bugs some Cardinal fans. Yeah, I think you're right about that. Yeah, yeah. No, listen, and, and uh, again, I don't, I don't think they're they're that tight that they're talking all the time, and now they have to suspend communications. Yeah. You know, they, yeah. Probably uh, during the season, that's yeah, not maybe, really a thing. No, yeah. no. You know, so so I, I, I think, uh, it, again, I think that's kind of an overblown deal. Uh, I do think that um, the fact that the Cardinals have beaten Sean McVay on the road, they've got to draw from that. They've got to draw from the fact that there is a game in their very recent history in which they handled that defense, won the game with physicality, game went even close. Rams scored a garbage time touchdown in that game. True. That that thing was a blowout. They need to draw on that because their most recent experience was a blowout in the other direction. So the confidence, the the do we believe we can hang with this team? I didn't see a lot of that on the football field in January in LA. And they're going to have to have that feeling if they're going to compete in this game. Well, that's going into the season, going into the opener against Kansas City, we talked about that. You know, the last time this football team took the field they got embarrassed. Mm-hmm. And it, it got embarrassed on, on a Monday night when they were the only game of the day. And it led to a lot of doubt on Kyler Murray. And yeah. that kind of set this whole the, the tone for the whole offseason that followed. Indeed. And how much would that hangover uh, be in place when, when they took on Kansas City? I don't know if the Rams hangover was in place more than the Kansas City Chiefs played a great game in week one. But those questions need to be answered because this is the first time you're seeing that team. And no, they're not the identical rosters that that were on the field or going against each other in January. But, you know, if this is another Rams blowout, Mm -hmm. that opens up a whole, you know, different bag of questions about this team. Yeah, that that to me is the worst case scenario is if this football team goes out and it's like Kansas City all over again. And then we'll we'll come in next Monday and we're going to step back and go, okay, so maybe that Raiders game was a little flukish. 
Maybe the Raiders aren't all that. If you get up in class and up and you get against a, a, a legit playoff team, that the Cardinals look horribly exposed, and that will happen if they don't have real belief. And I would think that they should have some confidence. And I think that's the most, to me, the the most poignant quote from Kyler Murray yesterday was that the fact that that we needed this to feel a little bit confident about what we're doing because because if if they didn't have any of that I would not like their chances against the Rams. No, Kyler Murray was uh, asked about hey what what did happen last time and how much is is that in your heads going into this game? No, I mean I, I'm uh, I'm not really focused on you know what happened in the playoffs uh, or last year. Um, obviously, everyone knows what happened, how we played. Um, but like I said, it's new season, new journey, uh, new team. You know. Uh, so that, that's the that's the that's the focus. I think that's the right answer, but mm-hmm. I also think uh, privately or individually for those guys that did get humbled on the field in mm-hmm. Los Angeles in January, they have to be thinking about it a little bit because you you know you're going to play this team at least twice. Oh yeah, and, and they're the team you're trying to knock off. They're they're the ones with the targets on their back right, right. now, and nobody really knows what is what in the NFC West yet. There is yeah, no. it's all just sort of like a, a a a bunch of shifting sand because it's every team is dealing with their own set of questions right now. Let, but let me ask you this question mm-hmm. because I I think it is unique to ask this question now. Yeah, because it is a small sample, two mm-hmm. games for each. Uh, team, every team's one and one, and you're right. Every team has questions, but let's say health is not a factor, which is in, in my dream scenario. We'll take health out of it. Everybody right. stays healthy for the rest of the year. Mm-hmm. Who do you feel best about coming out of the NFC West right now, based on what you've seen and can stay healthy? The 49ers. I do too. And that's and that's the whole thing to say. Isn't it ironic that Jimmy G is taking over that team just when they're going to play Denver and Russell Wilson? Isn't that? <laughs> Veered. That's just so weird. So yeah, that's that to me seems to be the thing. And one of the things that you, we are seeing, I believe, in the NFL so far, is some definition in terms of what defenses really look transcendent in the NFL. And the 49ers have one of them. The the, the Buccaneers clearly have one of them. In fact, there's a lot of people around Tampa right now. They're all complaining that they don't have any skill players, and they're like, no, 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 that ain't it. All you got to do is protect Tom Brady and let that defense carry you to a championship. That's how good they are. He's in there, uh, the Peyton Manning last year with Denver role this year. Right. Manages and the team like and the he, defense. And he's one. much better than Peyton Manning was in his last year with Denver, but that's that's sort of the deal. That that defense is I mean they're incredibly good. And and so I think that that that's the one thing that the 49ers have that no other team in this division can say they have. The Seahawks play hard, but they don't have the talent level, in my opinion. The Cardinals defense, yeah, I'm going to have to see a lot more. Yeah. And and of course the Rams, eh, I mean you're up 28-3 on the Falcons. So uh, this is, to me, what's interesting about this is there's going to be statement, statements made this weekend. San Francisco could very well go into Denver, polish them off, and then walk out of that game suddenly as the front runner in the NFC West because of everything that's happened. The restoration of Jimmy Garoppolo, the, all that kind of the effect that he has, uh, and and then you you've got the Rams who you know it's they've just they've been struggling for an identity. Yeah, and then you look at Seattle. Uh, I think again, still clearly the the fourth most talented team in the division, but mm-hmm. they've got a home game against Atlanta. It wouldn't shock me to see the Seahawks, you know, defend their home field. They could be two and one after this week. <laughs> 
Yeah, I guess. I, uh, yeah, no, I'm I'm with you on that. So I so I think this is going to be it's going to be fascinating to see where this whole thing is going. These are early statement games. Obviously, this is a big chance for the Cardinals to really kind of uh, right or wrong from last year's playoff game and if they can beat the Rams at home you know we've talked about the home field thing till it till we're blue in the face but it's real until they put an end to this you cannot you cannot convince anybody with a straight face that you are a Super Bowl caliber team if you have lost six consecutive home games those two things do not match totally agree Especially when the Super Bowl is at home. Yeah, yeah. It, right, exactly. <laughs> oh, great, another home game oh, yeah. in the Super Bowl. <laughs> that's right. They're the only yeah, team ever funny. that doesn't want to right, play them. That's right. The, the one team that wouldn't want to have a home field advantage well, in they, the Super they Bowl. They talked about Super it earlier in the in the uh, year leading up to this season. We want to be the team in our own locker room. James Conner said it on, on Super Bowl Sunday. They're going to have to play a lot better to still yeah. have that feeling. Yeah. Have you subscribed to the Bickley and Murata podcast? Subscribe right now on your iPhone or Android. Never miss any of the show. It's the Bickley and Murata podcast. And it's brought to you by Carol Royce, Keller Williams, Realty East Valley. Get a higher price selling your home. Get guaranteed offers. Go to higherprice.com. That's higherprice.com. Coming up next, lots of questions remain about the Suns' ownership situation now that Robert Sarver has decided to sell. We'll get into some of those questions next. Bickley and Murata Mornings, 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station. Extremely uh, attractive, and long before Baxter Holmes' story uh, that led to the NBA investigation, and uh, this was an organization, uh, uh, an ownership group that had offers through the years, significant offers to sell. Robert Sarver, um, you know, obviously did not sell prior. You know, the organization took a turn. You know, a few years ago, became a contender after years in the draft lottery, but in number of factors, including uh, a warm weather client, uh, climate, uh, uh, a, a really good tradition of, of winning basketball that predated Sarver as owner, you know, proximity to L.A. It's Adrian Wojnarowski of ESPN outlining how attractive are the Phoenix Suns yeah. for potential buyers. There's a lot, a lot working for them right there. I want to go back to, uh, you know, with the, with the news that broke yesterday, Robert Sarver will sell the Suns and Mercury. I forget who the reporter was who tweeted out yesterday in the aftermath of all those th- that story coming out that uh, in November last November Robert Sarver told reporters that he had no interest in, yeah. in selling the Phoenix Suns. Yeah, I remember that. Yep. And here we are, ten months later, and uh, on the precipice of, of changing ownership. Yeah, listen, and one of the things that that I can't get out of my head is I will. Oh, he's got a hand fruit. It's ha- <laughs> hey ho, it's hand fruit time, hand fruit time, hand fruit time, hey ho. Hand fruit time is here. What is it, Jarrett? <laughs> Today's. We should do. I always thought we should do something with the listener at some point during the day. Okay. It will become, you know, hand fruit time. <laughs> and when you hear the jingle. Hey, yeah. ho, hand fruit time, hand fruit time, hand fruit time. Hey, ho, hand fruit time today. Yeah. You call in and you set, you know. You, you, right. you guess I what I have it a is. question about hand fruit. <laughs> and then you. <laughs> And you keep in track during the week each day, which is the hand fruit of the day. And then at the end of the week. But I can't see it now. You're just going on. The the suspense is. We're not doing this now. So just tell us what it is. It's down to seeds. Today's hand fruit is. Pomegranate. The worst. A peach. A peach. 
What okay. used to be a peach. It's got Wait, teeth yep. marks all over <laughs> For, it. The fuzz is flying back there. <laughs> That's yeah. Jared's hair. All right, back to Robert Sarver. Uh, in talking to some people yesterday, <laughs> it's Jared's hair. That's disgusting. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, in, in talking to people yesterday, one of the things that I heard was that um, Robert Sarver really believed he was going to come back a year later and take over and resume and and as if nothing really happened. Robert Sarver, based on Adrian Wojnarowski's tweets, uh, fought tooth and nail for any form of, of punishment, didn't think it was appropriate. I was told yesterday that at that point in time, Robert Sarver could have easily said, listen, all right, Adam. I will sell my basketball team. You take that NBA investigation that you spent 10 months on. You go put that in the fireplace and light the match, and we're all good. We'll call it a day. And he would have gotten that deal. He could have he could have tapped out, sold the team with none of that stuff, seeing the light of day. True? I don't know. Just Do you was told you yesterday. But in that case, and I'm not denying what you were told, but don't you think that would have created just an immense amount of, of pressure and scrutiny on Adam Silver? That that you empower this investigation, forty three pages, three hundred interviews, eighty thousand documents, and it never sees the light. I, of I day? don't know I, if it if it if it affects it if it effectively gets you to the end game. I don't uh, know if you need to. Yeah. I, maybe 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 it maybe that's not a a real plausible scenario. But I thought of that and I thought, man, because if Robert Sarver had a do over, I would think that would be the do over. Well, I mean, the do-over could have started a long well, time ago. Well, there is that. There is that. <laughs> but with everything still having occurred, yes. Yeah. Uh, we had Brian Windhorst on from uh, ESPN, too. And uh, one thing that people are – some you know, some people are surprised at, the timing of all of this, how quickly after the penalty was announced on Robert Sarver that this news broke, uh, Brian Windhorst said two things added to that momentum. I really found the whole situation unpredictable. And I think two things that happened in the previous few days uh, – one was the players' union executive director very aggressively calling for him to be banned for life um, in the midst of collective bargaining, excuse me, agreement um, discussions, which um, you know just underscores how important it was to the union to, to make that statement. The second thing was Draymond Green, I think, very strategically calling for an owner vote, um, which would have forced the uh, owners to take sides on removing. Robert Sarver. That's all very interesting to me, but I think Brian Windhorst mm-hmm. is on to something because, again, we've had now, what, four players, or four people associated with the player side of things. Not all at the same time. It, it appears to be there was there was a sequence to all of this. LeBron James tweeted James tweeted first, followed by Chris Paul, the, the executive director of the Players Association, Tamika Tramalio, had the most scathing yeah. uh, request. It, it, what Brian Windhorst alluded to in, in that soundbite, mm-hmm. and that was followed by Draymond Green. This was all leading up to media days around the league. And had this decision not come, if we were talking about this next week at this time. I think a lot of people in the league office would be on pins and needles because the pressure was going to get raised up past 11 to 12 or 13 from from the players because this I think this was a coordinated, uh, orchestrated attempt by the players to, to just continue to 
add heat to this whole situation. Yes, I, I definitely agree. And, and I do know from what I was told, and everybody was basically reporting the same thing, that, that there was no appetite among the Board of Governors to actually call a vote to vote no. Robert Sarver out. They did not want to lower the standard of misconduct in terms of what would get you kicked out of the league, what might get your email subpoenaed, what might find you in the crosshairs of an NBA investigation. I have to be a good person now. I, I, <laughs> Aww. Thanks a well, lot, what's, what's, what's the point in being a billionaire if I have to be a good person? That's right. <laughs> I get to buy being a These trash rules person. don't apply to me. Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty funny. So, um, yeah, and so, so there's that, and there's the fact that, you know, look at what's happening now. Because of what the NBA players effectively did, look what's going on in the NFL. There are heightened and heightened calls on Daniel Snyder for the same thing. Yo, you're next. Now, you might call it. He's been next for I, a decade. I, I know. Is he I still know. on his yacht? Yeah. Is he still in the ah, water? Two lawyers yeah. yesterday. Maritime law. Maritime De- law. Can't, Debra- ser- can't serve me if I'm on, on a yacht. Deborah Katz and Lisa Banks, who are attorneys for over 40 former commander's employees, released a statement yesterday. Uh, and they said the announcement that Robert Sarver will be selling the Phoenix Suns and Phoenix Mercury marks an important step in society's ability to hold owners of professional sports leagues accountable for their actions. Uh, it is important to note, however, that it was with uh, with the overwhelming pressure from the players, the team's co-owner and corporate sponsors that forced accountability for Robert Sarver's racist and sexist behavior and not the NBA commissioner. The NFL commissioner has similarly failed to take a meaningful action in response to the serious allegations of sexual harassment and assault as well as the financial improprieties brought against the Washington Commanders and owner Dan Snyder. We now need the NFL community, including the players, owners, and corporate sponsors, to demonstrate the same outrage and moral strength as those in the NBA community and force accountability for these egregious actions. Like Robert Sarver, Dan Snyder must go. The NFL is a different entity altogether. Oh, we, we know that. You're not kidding. And, and but but that pressure is going to continue to grow. And it's again, it it's. I think that uh, on a lot of ways, uh, people NBA fans. I, I think in general, the idea that somebody extremely rich and powerful and privileged was actually held accountable. You don't see that a lot in this day and age. No, you don't. No. And it's it's and it's caused a lot of uh, disenfranchisement from. Younger generations, college kids. Yeah. Yeah. So the people it, who feel like they have no power. Exactly. Yeah. And no chance at ever getting that. And it's, yeah, right. And, and when everything can be bought and sold and paid for, and it's, again, this is, this is not to get too far off, off, off the thread here as it applies to, to Robert Sarver, but I think the thing that even though longtime Suns fans who lived through those 10 years, this, there is reason why you can feel this like this is a cause for celebration. That I think that is a perfectly reasonable reaction. I think the most important thing is this basketball team now is spared what would have been a very, very taxing, ongoing commentary. I agree scenario. with that completely. Have you subscribed to the Bickley and Murata podcast? Subscribe right now on your iPhone or Android. Never miss any of the show. It's the Bickley and Murata podcast, and it's brought to you by Carol Royce Keller Williams Realty East Valley. Get a higher price selling your home. Get guaranteed offers. Go to higherprice.com. That's higherprice.com. Coming up next, our weekly chat with the president and CEO of the Arizona Diamondbacks, Derek Hall. Straight ahead, it's Bickley and Murata Mornings, 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station.
98.7 FM, Arizona's Sports Station. I have the high privilege and distinct honor of presenting to you the president. He's the president and CEO of your Arizona Diamondbacks. Derek Hall. The president. Yeah, every uh, Thursday we get to talk to Derek Hall, president and CEO of the Diamondbacks, and that uh, happens right now as Derek joins us on the Arizona Sports Line. Good morning, Derek. Good morning, guys. Just a... Another boring day in the landscape of Arizona sports. I know, really? Not much has happened here yeah. in the last four days, Derek. Well, let, <laughs> let's focus Always on the, something. Yeah. Always something. Yes. Uh-huh. Let's focus on the positive. A couple weeks ago, Bick suggested to you, hey, Diamondbacks need to treat this five-game series yep. in L.A. like they're, they're mini playoffs. Yep. And they're... The series already should be won, Derek, but they're on the verge of doing yeah. it today. So I, I imagine you're very pleased with what you've seen from uh, from the team in Los Angeles. I am. I was not too pleased Tuesday afternoon, yes. as uh, n- neither of you were either, and I think I almost broke my hand pounding my desk. Um, but but other than that, I mean, we should be 3-1 right now in this series, but I, I, I agree. I will take the last two games, and again, I think it goes back to you know these, these young kids who just they, they're not intimidated, they're fearless, they're, they're having a lot of fun, and, and that's a very intimidating place. You know, Dodger Stadium is loud, uh, the crowd is always full, you know, it's, a, it's a tough place to play, Yet, you know, you look at Corbin last night, bases loaded, he delivers, you know, with a with a ball to the wall and clears the bases. That's that's certainly a good sign that continues to, to, to show itself. Yeah. That kid's an RBI machine. All right, I want to get off the baseball field for a moment because in light of everything we've been talking about with the Phoenix Suns and, and their workplace culture, you guys did something supremely cool when you opened up your broadcast booth to Jill Guerin, who is the voice of the Salia Rawhides. Tell us your thoughts on that and what it means to you and to the organization to do something like that. What it means to young female journalists, young girls who might have listened to that. Yeah, thanks, Vic. No, it, it was exciting for us to be able to have her call those three innings. She did a great job. And, and to be able to do it at Dodger Stadium, I mean, she definitely had that pinch me moment. And, and we had a really nice exchange afterwards. She was thrilled to have made her debut with us. Um, she obviously thinks the world of the organization. She's, you know, one of our affiliates there in Visalia. So it, it was it was a great moment and, and a point of pride. I mean, you know, we, we try and promote uh, as many women and, and have as much diversity as we can in this organization. When I look around our, our boardroom every Wednesday morning when I have a leadership meeting and I can see women that have been developed within from within or those that we've brought in from outside of the organization who are in vice president's roles that is a point of pride as well you know i've got a daughter who um, plays soccer she loves sports she wants to have a career in sports and this gives her hope whether it's in the broadcast booth or in the boardroom and i think it's a it's a great sign for the future of our our industry yeah we got a chance to talk to jill yesterday really enjoyed the 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 conversation and what i marveled at too derek is that there's not a lot of 26 year old male broadcasters that are doing major league games at any level so for her to be uh, that advanced at that age is just amazing and, and the first pitch yeah, going for- yard what is up with that <laughs> you're right no I, it, it it was and and she had a good game to call uh, obviously i mean again we wish uh, we wish it had it, not finish the way it did, yep. but she did a really nice job, and she does a great job. And I, I think when you get to listen to women on the air, or or even you know in a broadcast, or even in the PA 
which used to be such a, a rarity, and now it's not. You know, I think it's it's more mainstream, obviously. And as we're trying to, especially in our industry, attract younger, more diverse crowds and followers of the game, that only helps, right? That enhances our chances. All right, back to the field. Madison Bumgarner last night. I did not expect that. Your thoughts on that? <laughs> You know, Vic, it was so nice to see. I, again, you know, we're going to look to the youth, and we've seen those performances out of Ryan Nelson, out of Dre Jameson, and, and he did it again the other night, Dre did. And and it's somewhat contagious, right? We've talked about that. Now you have Gallon taking the, the ball tonight, which is certainly a good sign. But um, Madison did what he needed to do to give us a chance to win. I think it was the first time this year he's gone six-plus innings and only allowed one run. Um, so, so he looked like himself, and he was mixing in a lot of a lot of off speed and a lot of breaking balls which was good to see and he had a good feel for it not just you know fastball cutter and this is a team that has had a lot of success against them that's no secret especially at dodger stadium so i i think it was a, a pleasant surprise obviously but it also helps to give him that kind of cushion to begin with i mean when you're out to a five nothing lead uh it clearly changes the approach of the other team as well and he took advantage of that mm-hmm. Derek hall president and ceo of the diamondbacks our weekly guest here on bickley and Murata mornings Looking to the future, uh, I think you know we've talked so much about you know beefing up the bullpen, improving that aspect, and, and maybe it's you know conceptual at this point. But when you look at this team moving forward, Derek, without getting all, all too specific, what are some of the ingredients that that you think you'd like to add to this mix going forward? Because the future yeah, is bright, and I think you nailed it, Vince. And we really have to focus on the bullpen. I mean, we've seen now that we're going to clearly have choices when it comes to the rotation. In fact, there's a few guys that haven't even made it up here, like like Bob, you know, who who will be competing next, and and Walston who'll be competing next spring. But I think uh, we need to do a better job as an organization of developing arms in in the reliever roles. And Mike and I talk about that all the time. And and we've got guys that are just fireballers right now in the minor leagues. Guys that are touching a hundred. That's what you're seeing now more and more with with uh, you know these these organizations that are having success from the bullpen. Guys that you're developing at a young age to come up as relievers and they just come in you know throwing flames and, and we've got that so we do have the makings of it and i think we're going to really see that competition in spring training bits but you're you're right we have to focus on the bullpen if we had had more success out of the bullpen we're, we're talking about a completely different season mm-hmm. where we would have gone from 52 wins to competing for a, you know a, a wild card spot and we just had so many bumps and bruises out of that bullpen gate when it would open up um i i think it, it's somewhat of an easy fix because that's going to be the main focus for us this offseason but i i'm still very proud of the fact that we're at 70 wins right now um it shows that we made the progress we needed to it, it's crazy to be celebrating hey are we gonna have 72 wins we're we gonna have you know 75 wins in an ordinary season i'm disappointed in that but yeah. coming off of 52 wins last year to now 20 plus more wins I think we're showing the progress, but now it's time to compete again. Next year, when we're at this time, I hope that we are talking about a wild card spot or a playoff spot because this team is showing that they can't compete all year. I think one of the uh, one of the good things about having all these young prospects come up and have success is it first of all it raises expectations and raises the standard for for the ones that are in the farm system, but it also probably raises the appetite uh, of the belief that hey, I want to get up there, I can do that, and so I, I'm curious. How is this reverberating through your through your system? 
It does for sure. And when these guys, Bick, grow up together and they're playing at each level together, I mean, you see the celebration we have, you know, for Ryan Nelson, right? It was his teammates from AAA and AA that were just bombarding him in the dugout. That's camaraderie. That's good culture. And it does encourage other players, hey, I have a chance in this organization because we have committed entirely to our player development. And that's what we've done the last, you know, five, six, seven years is let's draft properly. Let's have the right international signings. Let's get them through the system and get them up here. It makes a difference. And the players believe that they have a chance to come up here. They know that they're being watched at the minor league levels. I think it makes all the difference in the world. And these guys are, they're they're having fun. And, you know, we've said all along, these players are good. Wait till they get up here. And our fans, they were hoping that would be the case. Now they're starting to see it. And, And I'm telling you during games, guys, and we only have three left at home here this weekend, but at these games at home, more and more fans are coming up to me saying, love these guys. Like I've told you, you know, please don't trade them. Um, which is which is funny to hear, but um, that that's a good sign too. I mean, for years when I was with the Dodgers and we had you know five rookies of the year in a row, the fans would look to see well, who's coming up from Albuquerque, who's coming up from San Antonio. That's what you want, you know. When you're showing how your minor league players are doing on DBTV during a game, it shouldn't just be noise. It should be a focal point for the fans to say, "I can't wait to see that kid when he gets up here." We finally have that focus again, and it's a point of pride for our fans to know. He's one of ours. He made it through the system. He's up here, and I'm going to back him. Yeah. Uh, as Derek said, final uh, home series of the year this weekend against San Francisco. So your final chance to get out to Chase. Uh, best of luck with that, and uh, good to talk to you. We'll talk Thank again you, next Dave. week, Derek. You got it. Look forward to it. I'll talk to you guys. Thanks. All right. Derek Hall, D-backs uh, president and CEO, joins us every Thursday to talk Diamondbacks baseball uh, here on 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station. Coming up next, every morning, 9 o'clock, we dive into some social media on Twitter. Social studies with Sarah Cazella straight ahead here on Bickley and Murata Mornings. Mm-hmm.